Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. Doing a little tired. We just recorded our fourth interview in two days. Your boys have been hustling for you guys. So make sure five-star reviews because we've been working hard. But for our fourth interview of the last two days, we're super excited to bring you Brian Hoffman, the CEO of OB1 and the creator of the Haven app, which is our fantastic sponsor. David, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Haven? Yeah. Brian Hoffman, no relation, uh, long OG Bitcoiner, been in the space of uh, crypto type marketplaces. Uh, so Haven is this next iteration that he and the OB1 team has produced. Uh, it is a marketplace kind of like eBay or Amazon or Craigslist for things that you can buy with crypto. Uh, and the cool thing about the app is that you don't need a uh, email or a password to sign in. You download the app and then you immediately receive uh, non-custodial crypto wallets to send your crypto to. Uh, and then you, in a peer-to-peer manner, can buy stuff from other people who are putting it on the Haven app. Uh, I bought a drone recently, so I'm waiting for that to arrive at my house. Uh, and it will be super fun. I uh, can't wait. Yeah, and I'm actually selling a book, Programming Bitcoin by Jimmy Song, signed by the man Jimmy Song himself. So if you're interested in getting some piece of Bitcoin memorabilia, I'm accepting your Satoshis on the Haven app for programming Bitcoin. But without further ado, I just want to get right into this interview. Brian had a lot to share, had a lot of updates about Open Bazaar, peer-to-peer, uh, you know, building a peer-to-peer marketplace that is fully decentralized and focused on privacy. Yeah, let's just go ahead and uh, get right into it. Everyone, I bring you Brian Hoffman. I am super excited to bring you guys the CEO of OB1 and the Haven app, Brian Hoffman. No relation. Sponsoring, yeah, no relation. Thank <laughs> you for sponsoring POV Crypto and thank you for building such a cool product. Really excited to have you on the podcast and learn a little bit more about Haven and you know, why it's so important to have this kind of privacy P2P commerce. Uh, but before that, Brian, would love to hear a little bit more about your crypto story and how you got involved in all of this craziness. Yeah, sure. I, yeah, I've, um, I've got kind of like a probably non-traditional way of getting into crypto, which is that I spent like almost or a little over 10 years working in government consulting, which you would think would be like the opposite space that a, someone you know, excited about cryptocurrencies would be in, but, um, and I didn't, I didn't get into crypto because I learned about horrible things in the government. It's just, uh, just happened to overlap with the interests I had there. So I was working in like, uh, cryptographic protocols for, uh, secure messaging. So, uh, doing encrypted like email and, and, uh, you know, communication messaging, uh, for the government. And, uh, different classified agencies and stuff. And, and so there was a lot of overlap with public key cryptography and in uh, cryptocurrency and in messaging. So uh, pretty similar stuff and just got, went down the rabbit hole. But um, <clears throat> in terms of open bazaar, I mean, it was a, I mean, it was, a, the story has been told a, a thousand times uh, for old OGs in the uh, crypto space, but for anybody who doesn't know, uh, it started out as an idea called uh, dark market, 
which Amir Taki uh, came up with for a hackathon in Toronto back in 2014. And they, uh, they open sourced the, I mean, it was probably several hundred lines of code, the whole thing. It was just hacked together in 24 hours and it was meant to demonstrate you could create a, a unstoppable marketplace sort of like Silk Road using cryptocurrencies, uh, peer-to-peer networking, and uh, and just um, regular off-the-shelf web server software. So uh, it was a really fascinating idea. And when they open-sourced it, um, rather than keep building it, they decided to do something else. And, and so I took the code, forked it, and it became Open Bazaar. So that was it. So, so with, uh, with Open Bazaar, can you kind of tell us a, a little of the progress and iteration of the Open Bazaar uh, project? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, this, you know, the project started in 2014 and the world was a much different place. I mean, the idea of something called a DAP didn't even, it didn't exist. Um, the idea of an ICO or, or funding it through tokens was not a thing. Even crowdsourcing was just not happening. Um, and so we spent almost a year pretty much working on just building grassroots support for the, the open source project on GitHub and, and starting the community. And, um, you know, it just started to grow and snowball into more, more uh, substantial project. I mean, we had a lot of like really interesting contributors from different projects, people that have gone on to work on other really cool stuff, people that went to work for Blockstream and <clears throat> things like that. And, and then we kind of caught the idea of the VCs and we ended up getting funding in 2015 from USV and Andreessen Horowitz, which was really, really amazing uh, that they were looking so forward uh, in the space. And we raised VC money and we, we funded, uh, we founded OB1, which is our company. Um, and it kind of shepherds the Open Bazaar project. So Open Bazaar does stay, is uh, an open source project that's, that's pretty much owned by the community an MIT license, but we pretty much shepherd the development of it and, and kind of guide everybody and, and run the community. So without, before we get to OB1, I want to kind of wrap up uh, Open Bazaar. Uh, what are like the, does Open Bazaar have like ethos? It's a community driven project and usually that kind of has like um, community driven values, right? And then at the same time, uh, what are the, the technologies in Open Bazaar that really enable it to function? Yeah, so as far as the ethos goes, I mean, the project, like I said, it started out as being an unstoppable Silk Road, which you would think like it could have gone much differently than becoming more of a mainstream marketplace product. But, um, you know, I think the thing that I, the, the change in ethos that I brought when I created Open Bazaar from Dark Market was the fact that we wanted to have some kind of alternative for people in the world to Amazon eventually that would use cryptocurrency because I really truly believed and, and so did my co-founders Washington and Sam and we still believe that cryptocurrency is going to be like a much more impactful uh, currency and in, in money uh, going forward and for the whole world and someone is going to create a marketplace like this that is controlled by the people and not controlled by governments or corporate entities and so that was kind of the beginning of like what we want to do something like that was just broader than, Hey, you can buy drugs and, and guns here because Bitcoin is somewhat untraceable. Like that wasn't really the idea behind it. It was more of like a Liberty project, which is why it attracted a lot of 
um, libertarians and, and different like privacy focused individuals to, to the team. And as we've gone forward, we've kind of kept that. And I think a lot of the decisions we made, even though we are like a venture backed business, a lot of our decisions are driven by the needs of the community. And also uh, we constantly wrestle with taking the hard way because it's the right way uh, from, from the standpoint of our ethos, as opposed to just doing something that would be much easier, but would violate, you know, the concerns of our, our user base. And then what are the, what are the components of open bazaar that allow it to, to operate uh, in with the, in the realm that it needs to operate in? Cause it is a censorship resistant piece of software, correct? Yeah. So architecturally it's, it's kind of similar to BitTorrent where, um, there's no like central data center that runs all of our, our services. Like, like your app doesn't just, um, talk to, you know, our API somewhere in the cloud and then we, you know, store all your data and manage all of that centrally. It, it, it basically spins up like a, a full node on, on your desktop app or your mobile device, whichever one you're using. And it connects to the network directly. Uh, it bootstraps to a couple of nodes that we run, but they're just, in order to find some other people on the network. And then you start connecting to them directly. So if I uh, wanted to purchase something from you, uh, our two computers would talk to each other directly encrypted end to end. And you, we, that's how we would do the communication. And so all the nodes form a network together directly. So if I wanted to run my own open bizarre node, what, like, how would I do that? Well, I mean, we've tried very hard to make it like super simple. Originally it was like this, complicated thing where you had to run a, a server daemon on your computer and then you had to connect your app to it and you know the address of it and the port and all this stuff but now pretty much uh it's all bundled together so on desktop you just download the app from openbazaar.org and just run it it's just an installer and you're good to go it all does all that in the background and on mobile you can just download haven which is i, I believe it's the only open bazaar app at this point um and it runs the server stuff on the device itself, which is pretty cool because I'm not really aware of any other app doing that at this time. Like most people don't run server-based software on mobile devices because it's, it's, you know, so much more, it's so much simpler to just run the server component in the cloud and let everybody connect to it like a, like a dumb app, you know, to just talk to the cloud. But in our case, everything is run on your device. So all your data is stored there. It doesn't ever leave your device and go somewhere else. So they don't have your Bitcoin keys on some server. They don't have your address, your private information. It doesn't have your sales data, purchase data, your chat messages. None of that stuff ever leaves your device. So uh, it's like it's like one of the most kind of privacy focused apps, especially that uh, operates in like the crypto space that's not like a wallet. So can you uh, explain a little bit more between the link between Haven and OpenBazaar? Sure. So really early on, I mean, this is like 2015, back when we got funded, um, we, we knew that we wanted to get OpenBazaar onto mobile devices. But at the time, we had built the software in Python. We were having a hard enough time running on Linux and Windows and Mac and getting that to work. And it was really resource intensive. Um, and so it just wasn't feasible. We had tried different ideas, sort of like if you've ever used like... Um, I don't know, you know, like how people connect to lightning nodes, they run the node at home and then they connect their app, you know, remotely 
to the to the full node at home. That's kind of like the model we were thinking, oh, maybe we'll do that. And then we thought, well, maybe we'd run OpenBazaar nodes for people in the cloud and then they connect to that. And that was kind of a, a fool's errand. It didn't, it didn't really pan out. But when we started uh, looking at um, moving to Golang, which I mean, I, I don't know how technical the audience is, but I'm gonna assume that they're so, so. Some, somewhat technical. But we switched programming languages and, and fortunately that that change made it very easy to uh, run the same code on desktop computers as well as mobile devices and do so in a pretty resource friendly way. So it didn't, wouldn't burn up battery or CPU power and all that stuff. So um, we got the whole thing running on, on the mobile device and we, and we created Haven. Now the difference between Haven and OpenBazaar, there are some. Um, one big one is, uh, we have social, we have like a social media component to the app. So one thing that we really, really wanted within OpenBazaar, and we always have, but we never really built it out too much on the desktop side was this concept of, um, so if you back up like the name OpenBazaar, like that, that, that whole idea, the reason we call it OpenBazaar is because we viewed it as like a global community where uh, there's a lot more communication going on between the people that participate in the marketplace. It's just like in a bazaar where you go and you go from stall to stall and you talk to the, you know, the merchants and <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and you ask them about what they're doing and you haggle and you know, it's like a more personal experience. You're not just buying from like a bot online. And, and so from day one, there was always like the ability to like follow an account or become friends with somebody or to like chat with them. And so the extension in the mobile app that we've brought out is this social feed. And so it's sort of like a, uh, like a Twitter type component where the idea would be that you follow stores and brands and people that you trust or um, are interested in. And then they can in turn communicate with you directly through the social feed, you know, for like discounts, good products, uh, sales, um, and just sharing in general just like any other social platform. So that's one thing that's unique and we don't have that in the desktop software at this point in time. So, uh, but, but other than that, there's a couple little features and things that we didn't bring over yet, but, uh, for the most part, you can do just about everything you can sell, you can buy. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything, I think the only other, yeah, the other big one is probably crypto trading. So not many people know this, but we have like, uh, you can sell, uh, or swap any altcoin, like that's on coin market cap basically for the currencies within open bazaar and you can do so for free. So you can mark it up or you can mark it down. You can sell it for at cost, whatever you want to do, but there's no cut to the marketplace ever. Like because it's peer to peer, we're not, we don't, we're not a middleman. We can't like take a fee or anything like that. So there's no transaction fees or uh, cuts for the marketplace to do trading, but that crypto trading is not in the mobile app. At this right. Time. Right. So that, that's kind of what I wanted to get to. So OpenBazaar is this pretty open source, uh, unrestricted, censorship resistant uh, marketplace platform. And Haven is kind of like a, uh, an interface, not exactly, but it's kind of like an interface for accessing it. But it's through, at least uh, in, in the US, most of your customers are going to be through um, Apple, right? And so they're going to download it through the, uh, through the Apple store. And so what restrictions did uh, that did Apple place upon you uh, as and what kind of design choices did you have to make as a result of that? Yeah, that's that's a tricky one. And, and actually, interestingly enough, right now, uh, the demographics of our installs is probably about two and a half times more Android users than iOS users. Is that which true I for the United is, States? Uh, that's across the board. Oh, um, and I think a lot of that is just because 
Um, we do really well like in the app store in terms of keywords and stuff around privacy on Android. Like there's a lot of people that are like more technical, I think, and they like to screw around with their phones and do all that. And so it, it kind of makes sense. Um, and iOS is a little bit more conservative in that way. But, but in terms of changes for the app stores, yeah, there definitely was like Google has been pretty lenient. So for instance, um, you know, uh, I didn't explain this earlier, but we also, um, have like a one of the design decisions that we made was that we weren't going to try to do decentralized search because it's a very difficult problem and so what we do is we allow people to plug in third-party search services so if it's sort of like BitTorrent right like you have Pirate Bay you go and find things on Pirate Bay and then it helps you find content on the network but the network itself doesn't have search feature and it's the same for Open Bazaar so Obi One runs a search service and we bundle that with Haven um, on the mobile devices by default. And so our, our requirements though is that we end up having to censor some of the things from the search index. So there's a clear, there's, there's two things that work, right? Like the network is uncensorable. You can put anything on it, but it doesn't mean that the search services, which are run by third party you know, companies or like people, they don't have to index that data. They could choose to only index wristwatches. They could choose to only index bad stuff, they could choose to index just good stuff. So in our case, we pretty much uh, mirror what the app stores will allow us to do. So on iOS, the search service actually filters out a pretty strict list of things that they uh, say is a no-no for the app store. It's It sucks that we have to abide by that, but that's the rules to play in the app store. And so that's what we do. And uh, Google's a little bit more lenient. So for instance, like CBD products, which are Technically, technically not illegal in, in many of the states here in the U.S. Um, Google doesn't care that much, or they haven't cared so far. And in, um, I hope none of their censors are listening to this, <laughs> <laughs> reviewers. But um, but on the iOS side, uh, yeah, they I mean they did very extensive searches for everything, like naughty stuff, like sexual stuff, and like drug stuff, and weapons, and you know, they've searched in murder for hire, things like that, um, to try and find anything horrible that could be in the marketplace. And when they found things like CBD, they would come to us screenshots and say, this stuff's in there. And so we've, we've had to have, you know, we have to have like a pretty constrained list of things that show up in the search index on, on the app on the iOS side. But um, was there anything that they, that they banned that surprised you? Anything that was like, what this you're banning? I'm this? shocked that they went to that distance um, too, but Maybe I should. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, like we generally, like we know when, um, so I don't know why, but they opted in. We have like analytics so we can see certain data about certain nodes and they opted in, um, for the analytics when they would test our app and it would, they would use a weird device. So it showed it up in the logs, like pretty obvious. And then, you know, we know, on the search side, what's being searched for. And we got like a massive list, this weird list of like bad terms. So like correlated together. So like, we're not specifically sure that it was them, but it's just kind of coincidental um, based on the data that they were looking for all these horrible things. And then they would screenshot it. So we're like, okay, that's, that's clearly something that they're looking for. But um, it does give you some insight into like what they do for marketplaces, right? Like they, they're not, they're not stupid. Like they know, that this kind of stuff exists on Craigslist and different apps and they don't want their users being exposed to that. So, um, 
yeah, it's, it's been pretty interesting. And, oh, and then there was one other major thing that they asked us to do, which was uh, they did not like digital goods. So um, we did a lot, like on the desktop, people can sell MP3s, PDFs, you know, eBooks, all kinds of stuff like music videos. And uh, that was just like, they were just hard, they were dead set on requiring us to use uh, Apple's in-app purchases uh, API for that so that they could get their cut of digital media. And we were like, tried to explain to them that, you know, they don't, we don't distribute the stuff through the app and like they have to pay with cryptocurrency and they like, they were just like, no, that's not happening. So on iOS, it's actually disabled on Android. You can, you can buy it. So that's just the way <laughs> they didn't Man, like my that. Haven app is all tied back. Come on, Apple. I, I know. Well, I mean, I think the idea for us is like, we were like, look, we want to get the app out and you know, these suck, but maybe they can loosen it up or like we can, keep testing the waters and try and expand what we can do. Like the crypto trading piece, we just excluded because we were like, we just had a feeling that that would be a huge red flag for them, that they wouldn't let us do it. And we haven't tested it out, but you know, in the future we may try to push that in a future update and see, see what happens. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not real confident, but you never know. Well, isn't everything an in-app purchase? Um, no, well, so physical goods, they don't seem to have an issue with because oh, they don't, they don't compete in app purchases. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, okay. and, and the reason why they flagged us initially too, was because, um, they found someone was selling, someone was selling digital wallpapers for your open bazaar store. So you could buy the image in the app and then immediately like apply it as a theme to your app. And they were like, Oh, that's in app usage. So you're selling basically like a feature within your app that they can use in the app. And that's, that's an in-app purchase. And we were like, we, I mean, we submitted like two appeals and, and yeah, they just, they were like, no, sorry. And they, and they don't give you any recourse. Plus it takes them like five days to respond. So you're just burning up time, like arguing with them, knowing they're probably going to say no anyway. So it's, it is a shitty battle. And I hope someday that there will be some alternative to that, but uh, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like that's today. I guess the alternative is Android, which is definitely where I think you guys get more of bang for your buck, right? Probably, but you know, like I, I think I remember reading recently that like Samurai Wallet has been running into issues with even the Play Store because of like certain features that they wanted to roll out in their app. And then where, where do you go from there? You have to distribute it from your website. You lose all that. I mean. You know, mm -hmm. most of like the majority of our downloads come from either uh, searching the app store or browsing it or just like, um, you know, searching for it in the app store. Like it's all pretty much just direct app store uh, exploration. So if we had to distribute through the website, it would be a huge cut to our downloads and our reach for sure. I do know that at least with uh, Samurai Wallet, like they were do like they were giving uh, users features that could have easily been like seen as like scammy or uh, suspect on Google's end, like things like, um, you know, you know, accessing like the SIM, you know, kind of like the SIM card or like some weird boards or something <laughs> like that. Like they're doing some like hacky stuff. Like in, it was like for, for like yeah. privacy features or whatever, but um, I, I can see why uh, Google kind of freaked out about that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely think that, you know, the, the walled gardens that Google and Apple kind of, you know, guard uh, seem to be an issue, at least with, you know, 
purely censorship resistant technology getting in the hands of you know all people especially with apple but i'm interested in hearing a little bit more about what's next for haven um you got it out the door like a month and a half ago um you know i've been playing around with it it's been pretty cool i listed um a signed copy of uh jimmy songs programming bitcoin on there um but yeah, I mean, what's next? I, I hear that you guys are bringing ETH into uh, the platform. Uh, anything other than that, yeah, you can report. Yeah, so like uh, there's a lot, yeah, that's coming. Um, the Ethereum support is actually uh, something that we've been planning for a long time and it's coming to desktop and uh, Haven. So it's not just like a mobile only thing. Um, we definitely want to bring it to Open Bazaar across the board. And it's been a pretty difficult thing because um, you know, we like lean on like multi-signature technology in, in, in the app to do our escrow uh, capability. And Ethereum doesn't like have that natively. So we, you know, we had to actually develop the smart contract and we were all like Bitcoiners. So, you know, this is, all, it was all new for us and we had to like find some people to help us and we had to get the contract audited and everything else. So it's like, I mean, anybody who's been in the Ethereum, you know, development, uh, you know, environment, it's like different from Bitcoin for sure. And we've been not a part of that for a long time, but, uh, but yeah, we're getting really, really close to finishing that up. I think, you know, a lot of the server stuff will be wrapped up this week and then it's just really putting it into the apps and integrating it. And so we're hoping that, uh, we'll be able to roll that out really, really soon. And that's cool because, uh, with that comes support for ERC 20 tokens. So I, I think like, you know, our goal is to get like stablecoin support of, of some manner into the app, which would be cool. Like, like I think we're going to look at Dai first and, Thank and you. roll that out, which would be great because people are always worried about stability of like the currency when they sell things, you know, like, and you see this in darknet marketplaces a lot too. Like the vendors or the buyers will just cancel orders because, you know, by the time the vendor accepts the order, you know, or fulfills it, the, the coins are worth a lot more, they're worth a lot less or whatever. And then they end up, arguing and it's a cause of the issue so i think that would be a cool way to like um experiment with that and see how how it works in the marketplace um so that that's a huge one and we're preparing that we're going to be at devcon this year and uh you know we've gone a couple times and we kind of lurk but uh never really had a product that worked on ethereum so it'll be cool to, to have that be different this year and some other things in haven um Right now, this the social feed is sort of like a, a troll box, for so to speak. But um, which is which? Fortunately for us, it, it seems like most people are using it pretty like uh, conservatively. They, they, we haven't had any problems or anything with it. Um, in fact, a lot of merchants use it as kind of a broadcast space for cool products and services that they're offering. So maybe you should post something about your uh, your Jimmy Songbook in there. You might get a sale. Um, <laughs> And, but the, but the thing is, is that we want it to be more like, um, you know, have the ability sort of like Twitter to follow just people that you're interested in rather than, uh, just having like a fire hose blast of data coming through that you might not care about. So that's going to be something new that's coming out. And then, um, something that a lot of people have been wanting, uh, is push notification support, which seems stupid to not have that like on a mobile app. But when you think about the technology, Generally what happens is like if somebody comes to like eBay and buys something, it happens on their server so they can like push a notification to another user, right? In our case, it's all peer to peer. So the peers themselves have to kind of push notifications to each other 
and it just kind of complicates matters. So we had to design kind of a unique um, uh, architecture there to like solve that problem. And it's taken us a little while. Plus, plus uh, using the cloud-based like push notification servers that Google and Apple run, uh, you know, we don't want any data leakage or like privacy to be violated, right? Like if you send a chat message to somebody, do you really want like any kind of data about that getting pushed through an Apple server and then back out to the other person? So we, um, we've, we spent some time like talking to like the signal folks and getting some best practices around how to use um, like Firebase messaging and stuff like that for push notifications to make sure that we're really protecting users as much as possible and not uh, violating the trust that they have in us for the private part of that. So those are two big things that are coming soon and uh, there's a bunch more and, and hopefully some bug fixes to some of the things that you had mentioned <laughs> before the podcast. But um, but yeah, it's, you know, there's always issues in every piece of software. So, so how do you guys uh, monetize? How do you guys make money? Uh, currently the app doesn't, but we have some things coming in the future that will probably uh, enable that. And I think there'll be things that users want, not feel like is thrust upon them. Like we're not going to start charging a monthly fee to use the app or anything stupid like that. But, um, but we do constantly get asks from merchants and buyers and things that, that I think are monetizable that, that they would gladly pay for. Um, like and, sponsored listings or stuff. Like yeah. That. Like I, that's, that's a really pr prime example of that. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's been a very contentious issue for us over the last year or so because we originally were planning on releasing a token that would help solve that um, on top of the marketplace so that people could use it to bid for, <clears throat> for ad space within the marketplace and keywords and things like that. And we got stymied by legal and just got a lot of concern mm -hmm. around that based on the, the current landscape. So now we're trying to look at it from a different perspective and, and decide how we want to do that. But yeah, it's, it's a huge need because you have this huge massive data set of like decentralized listings and users and things. And there's really no way to like do anything with that because we're not, we don't know who's buying what we don't have the data to, to, you know, to make that kind of decision. We can't promote like really good stuff generally. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, allowing merchants to have a little bit more control of that and giving users more control of that is something we want to bring over the next few months as well. So, yeah. Uh, Brian, so uh, I've actually been following you on Twitter for quite some time now, and uh, I definitely see you kind of like rubbing up against some of the quote unquote, like toxic maximalists and, you know, some of those <laughs> kind of like more hardcore folks. Um, I'm kind of curious, what is first, like, what are your main motivations for being in this space? But even greater than that, like, you know, where do you see this, this space going? And, you know, we, you see all of these kind of protocols and monies like interacting with each other. Yeah. Like I, I will admittedly say that, like, I don't think that I'm any kind of uh, history of money expert or like, you know, I'm not, I, I just not an economist or anything like that. So I think a lot of the maximalist positions of, you know, kind of wrap themselves around those ideologies and like stick to them very hardcore. I'm, I kind of come more from a technologist standpoint. Um, I, I think that what's being built, the idea that it's permissionless and that anybody can participate and build something really cool and create something of value and it's borderless, which is really awesome too, um, is just super fascinating. And I'm not in particular, I'm not like particularly 
married to the idea that like it's only Bitcoin that can do this. And I, now I will caveat that and say that I still think that Bitcoin is probably like the premier uh, option here. And I don't see that changing, but I do find other products really fascinating. And I think that there are like interesting aspects of them that are worth exploring and letting people use and try and like and, and beat their technology against. And so, you know, that's kind of where we come from in the whole thing. And my, my opinions have evolved over a long period of time. I remember sitting in um, the A16Z offices when we were um, pitching one of our rounds and <clears throat> they were like, well, what do you think about Ethereum? I think it was Chris Dixon at the time. And, and I was like, I think they don't have as good of developers. I think I did, it's not as good technology. I don't think we should be spending time building on it, blah, blah, blah. I was like really hardcore about it. And they were like, what? You, you really <laughs> think that? And I was just like, well, you know, and then I, I kind of went back and I like, I, well, I didn't really spend much time thinking about it. I mean, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe I should be more open-minded. And I think that experience really made me think twice about uh, just shutting stuff down so quickly. And, uh, but, but there is also an aspect on Twitter, at least that of, you know, pushing buttons here and there. And, and a lot of these guys, I mean, I've been going to conferences with them since 2013, you know, and so half of them, I know them in person and see them and we'll probably see them in a month or two or whatever at this event or that event. And, um, I, you know, it is what it is. So it's, it's, it is, it can get really intense at times. And I think probably for new people to the space, it's probably intimidating and, and, and probably kind of weird to see such a uh, division between certain camps, but, um, you know, people are pretty cordial in person and it's different. So you got to just focus on what you're, you're working on and, and hopefully people will see like the value in it outside of like the uh, personalities. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to second that people are definitely different in, uh, in real life. I met Ragnarly Ragnar on Twitter, uh, in real life a couple times this summer and had some conversations with him and he's such a nice guy in person, but on Twitter, it's like, there's this, like this mask of being on the internet and, uh, <laughs> yeah quite intense um btc media my company has been on the other end of <laughs> of him on twitter several times this past year uh so it's it's been kind of interesting and then just a weird just position meeting him in person um brian like do you have any kind of you, you've seen this space kind of evolve over these past like six or seven years that you've been involved like has it kind of shaken out how you expected what's been like the biggest surprises um, would love to kind of get your, your kind of your view going backwards or your retrospective. I was thinking about this this morning too. Um, cause I was reading, I think it was like, I don't know who tweeted it out, but someone was, maybe it was Adam back was acknowledging that like Bitcoin dominance is like at an all time high. And, um, and I was just thinking like, you know, there was a time when I was like, oh, this is the way it's going to go for sure. And then Ethereum showed up and I remember like, like I didn't even buy in the pre-sale. I was like, there's no way that this is ever getting delivered. This is too, I did, you know, it's too ambitious, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it seemed like for a little while it, that was going to be true. And then it popped out and then the ICOs hit. And then I'm like, man, I'm just like, I'm retarded. Like, how did I not see this coming? Like I've been in the space for so long. How did I not see this coming? And then I started coming around on it. And then now it's like, it's all crashed and come back down. And, and there's this whole reality, which I kind of in the back of my new mind knew was always going to happen, which is that these products, projects actually have to deliver something at some point in time. 
and that a lot of them are going to fail. And, you know, you heard VCs and different people get on stage at all these conferences during the ICO boom and say like, well, let's temper expectations. You know, a lot of these are going to fail, but it kind of felt disingenuous. Like they didn't really believe it. Like they were like, Oh, we're just making a ton of money and let's just caveat this in case, you know, to cover our asses later. And now it's happened. And, uh, you know, a lot of these projects are coming back and trying to figure out how to earn more, you know, to make more money or to get more funding. And I just sit back and I say, well, you know, God, we only raised 9 million total over multiple rounds that we had to go back and beg, you know, and like really convince people that they should invest in. And we still have money left and we're building a really cool product that people use already today and do that. And, you know, if half of these products did that, instead of like, a lot of the like overambitious planning and like focus on marketing hype and all these things that like just are basically irrelevant to the actual delivery of this technology that, that this would be like such a much different landscape. And I think Ben, I think Bitcoin benefits from the fact that they're, they're being very disorganized and not getting their shit together. But if I had to guess, I think what will happen is a lot of this stuff will consolidate Teams will start snagging up people. They get dropped off these other products, the better people. And I think a lot of the bullshit will fall out and we'll probably see something really cool come rise out of that ashes. Now, I don't know if that's Ethereum 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever the hell they're on right now um, <laughs> uh, or, or EOS or whatever. But I do think that there will be something that uh, kind of tackles a lot of these ideas. They're, they seem like clever ideas. Um, and I think the technology is just kludgy and, and probably not as well thought out as it needs to be. It probably take, needs some time for people to simmer and think about it and, and do it in a, in a much better fashion. I mean, I know for a fact that the stuff that we built could probably be rewritten and done better now that we've done it for a few years and, and all these products probably feel the same way too. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Bitcoin will always be the anchor here for the most part, just because they've decided to keep it pretty static and not just not change it too much. And they don't want to fuck with a good thing. And I think that that's probably a smart move on their part because so much depends on it. And I think I was pretty short sighted early on to think that they should change a lot about it. Um, and I thought maybe there was some compromise to be had between the players, but it's, it's very obvious that people are worried that, they will lose that advantage and that, that kind of market power by changing too much. And I respect the community's decision on that as a whole. And it just is what it is. So it's, you know, it leaves us to play in these other areas. And that's why I think there will be some cool innovations that happen outside of Bitcoin. I just don't know what it, what it will be. I don't know what will take off. I mean, we've seen crypto cats already. <laughs> so, I mean, like what, what else is there to invent at this point? There's probably like a grilled cheese maker or something that's coming out. Oh, have you heard of the cheese heads. wizards? <laughs> yeah. Cheese, cheese wizards. There you go. See, yeah. it's already, mm -hmm. they're in our portfolio at uh, USV too. So whenever, <laughs> whenever we go to like summits and stuff, they're like there and I'm like, okay, cool. I, I think, know. I think a lot of Ethereum people would agree with that sentiment. Like the ICO, the ICO mania was destined to fail. Uh, I think more than 99% of ICOs didn't produce anything. Uh, so long as you add the, the corollary that, um, that the thing that does rise out of the ashes is Ethereum 2.0 and not EOS because EOS is definitely dead. I mean, I think, I think one cool thing about it was this, that 
there's all these stories about how like um, entrepreneurs spent, you know, moved to San Francisco or Silicon Valley and they like burn out and their startups fail and they like pour all their money into it and they like move their whole lives over there. And like all these like stories about, you know, for every one guy that like succeeded in selling his startup, you know, there's like thousands of entrepreneurs that kind of failed and blew it. And, or, or there's nightmares stories about raising capital and like not being able to and having to close their businesses. But the VCs were like doing really well and that whole thing like sprung up. And this was an example of where they kind of flipped the script, like in a really, really crazy unbalanced way. It was like the entrepreneurs couldn't like, they couldn't like fistfuls of cash just coming right. in like nonstop. And you know, like we're really close friends with the um, IPFS, the protocol labs team, because we use their technology. And I mean, they raised quarter of a billion dollars. Jesus. I mean, I mean, like just that idea, like, I mean, it's just a component of what we do, like the IPFS piece. And we're like, wow, you know, we would never have thought that this library we're using or which was more than that, but like, you know, that they would raise a quarter of a billion dollars because us raising nine seemed like such a crazy thing to do. And then you just multiply it out by 25 <laughs> times. And, and that just seemed easy at the time. Like they probably could have raised more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and then EOS just insane, insane kind of money. I, I just, you didn't know where it was going to stop. So that was an interesting aspect of it, but you knew that that was kind of something that would not end well. Um, hopefully, hopefully something does come out from those asterisks. And I, I do think you're right. A, a lot of these teams do have talented people on them. Um, and at the same time that the talent needs to settle in and find the right projects, which I think is, has been happening, I would say. Yeah. I mean, one disappointing thing of the whole, about that whole thing was that it did cause all these developers to go to different places. I remember when open was mm-hmm. first started, I mean, we were like, we thought we were hot shit because we were one of the only projects really out there other than like core or like an actual coin or a wallet. Like it was an actual proper DAP and uh, we had so many people coming and looking at it and poking around. And then when the ICO boom hit, like our contributions to the open source project kind of fell off pretty hard because why build on open bazaar when you could start particle or start, you know, some other marketplace project, raise your own token and make a bajillion dollars off of that and, and have full control over the design and planning of all of that. You know, just, there's no contest there. Like there's nothing to lose, you know, and instead of having to work with us so that definitely did impact us and other projects that kind of you know were precursors to the whole ico boom but um but you know i I like to think that like you know core good core ideas will stand the test of time right like even if ob1 goes out of business i know that like there will still be people that will pick up open bazaar and like poke around at it and like work with it and try to do something with it because the idea is solid and we've been around for this is almost four four and a half five years now and people use it every day so it's a it is a value it's probably providing a valuable service so brian if people want to go and uh, find this service where should they go um we got a couple different places to go but generally uh openbazaar.com is like kind of our central hub and um then you can get to haven or download the openbazaar desktop app from from there but uh, openbazaar.com gives you like a view of the network. So you don't even have to download it or install anything to see what's available. You can search for things, find, find what you like. And then if you're happy with that, then you can download the app. But, um, but if you're on mobile, just 
search for Haven in the app stores. I think we're like the, the top result for Haven keyword right now. So it's pretty easy to find our app. It's green. And uh, yeah, that's where you can find us. Awesome. Brian, where can people find you as well? Uh, if you uh, enjoy wasting time, you can find me on Twitter at Brian C. Hoffman. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much the, the main place I hang out. So I know that Dave and I, despite doing a lot of work, also find lots of time to waste on Twitter as well. Oh, yeah. You can find the podcast at POV Crypto Pod on Twitter. You can find me at CK underscore snarks on Twitter. David, where can they find you? You can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Brian, thanks for coming on. That was a, an awesome episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it was a lot of fun. Sniff the glue, hold your breath and fade.